0: Hi, everyone. It's Casper here. We've got some fabulous live shows coming up that we hope you'll be able to join us for. We're in Cambridge, Massachusetts on October 2nd, Washington, D.C. on November 7th, Chicago, Illinois, where my uncle was born, on November 21st, and St. Louis on December 19th. We hope to see you there.
1: Chapter 24, Occlumency. Creature, it transpired, had been lurking in the attic. Sirius said he found him up there, covered in dust, no doubt looking for more relics of the Black family to hide in his cupboard. Though Sirius seemed satisfied with this story. I'm Vanessa Zoltan.
0: And I'm Casper Turkyle.
1: And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text.
0: From the ages of 15 to 18, every morning I took a journey that lasted an hour and a half to get to school and then another hour and a half to get home. And it involved me walking, getting a ride in a car to a place where the school bus would pick me up that would take me to school. So three times a week, I got a ride in this VW van with like a Reiki healer and a therapist and someone else. And like everyone was fascinating. But on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I would get a ride with Shireen. And Shireen was a friend of my mother's and she was also the mother of one of my sister's classmates. So we were connected in various ways. And I loved getting a ride with Shireen. Because Shireen was the first adult I remember who showed real interest in what I thought about the world. She would ask me questions about politics, and we would talk about TV shows. And what was so special to me about Shireen is that she asked questions about what I thought. Like, she was interested in my perspective. And if you grow up in a family at home and you have siblings especially, there's no space for that. (laughs) Right? No one has time. My parents certainly were running around, running a business, raising kids. Like, there was just enough going on. And I just remember how much it meant to me that, like, I knew that twice a week I would sit down in a car in, like, a low-pressure situation, and someone showed real curiosity about what I thought about the world. And so I read this chapter around curiosity really with the sense that curiosity isn't just showing interest. It's about helping someone become who they have the potential to be, because sometimes I would say things out loud to Shireen that I'd never said out loud to anyone else before— And she was there to hear it. And so that's what I want to explore in this chapter. How does curiosity help us and help the characters in this chapter become who they're going to be?
1: Well, Casper, before we explore that, I am curious as to whether or not you've gotten better at 30-second recaps.
0: You know, it's because you never show curiosity that I'm not getting better at these recaps.
1: (laughs) Wow. On your mark, get set, go.
0: So everyone's back at Grimoire Place. Arthur comes home. Hooray. Um, Sirius is beginning to get sad because everyone's going to go. And then suddenly Snape drops by and wants to talk to Harry. And Harry's like, why? And Snape's like, well, because I'm going to teach you, teach you occlumency and you have to come to my office on Monday." And then Sirius flips out and is like, don't even talk to me. This is my house. And Sirius is like, rah, rah, rah. and then Harry is standing between them like a hero. All this stuff happens. And then um, he teaches Harry to, how to do it, but he's very bad at occlumency. And like he keeps seeing things in his brain that Snape sees. And Snape says, you have to control your mind. And that's really the end of it. Yeah. Will you add some additional pointers, Vanessa? I'll see what I can do. Here we go. Three, two, one, go.
1: Sirius is like, you're going to leave me. I'll leave you first and go hang out with the hippogriff upstairs because he's just a bastion of maturity um cho gets harry to ask her out and like sort of makes him think that it's his idea which i just think is the best thing ever and um sirius is like really abusive and keeps calling voldemort the dark lord and then getting mad at harry for calling him voldemort and um and so snape is snape not sirius and snape is a really bad teacher
0: (laughs) You know what it reminded me of? is like Snape is sort of a meditation teacher. Like, watch your thoughts. Control your mind.
1: He would be the worst meditation teacher (laughs) in the history of meditation teaching. My big takeaway from this chapter is as bad as I think Snape is, he's worse than that.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, let's dig into that. Yeah. So the central drama of this chapter is really this interaction with Harry and Snape. We're in Snape's office. Harry's pretending that he has remedial potions. Zachariah Smith is teasing him about it. And this is Harry's worst nightmare. I mean, he hates Snape. Anything that's spending time with Snape is not a good thing. And more than that, Snape is literally invading his mind, his memories, his most private thoughts. And what really strikes me is that Some of the description that Snape uses to explain what the power of occlumency is about really helped me understand Snape in a new way. He says, only those skilled at occlumency are able to shut down those feelings and memories that contradict the lie. That's the way that you can survive a double life, which, of course, at this point, we know that Snape is a double agent. So we are getting a massive insight into how Snape exists between these two worlds, right? It's because Snape is literally cutting his personality in half. He's splitting himself in two in this way that I feel that Harry couldn't help but have compassion for if he really understood what was happening. And so I'm curious, like, how do you see curiosity failing in this moment from Harry?
1: So I blame Harry zero in this dynamic. But I do think that Harry is missing a lot of, like, interesting cues It just made me wonder about our responsibility to be curious. I have a kid in my life who's being treated really poorly by a classmate of hers right now. Is it morally imperative for her to be complicating this identity of this bully or is that like not her job? Is it only her job to make sure that she gets treated with dignity and respect And I don't have a clear answer to that because I often think that curiosity is absolutely like, I would say it's like a straight path to empathy. If you are curious about someone, you are going to learn things that will help you empathize with them. I just don't think it's always our responsibility to empathize with everyone. I don't know. Snape is so terrible.
0: Well, let's think about that because I think your instincts really reveal something about the power dynamic here. If it was a different situation and Snape was not Harry's teacher, Harry being more understanding of Snape's story and of the context of what's going on, certainly later in the books, it really does help him see Snape in a different way. So much so that he names his son after him. But in this moment where there's such a power differential, it's unfair to think that Harry has a responsibility beside keeping himself sane and safe.
1: And Snape is so rude to so many of Harry's questions, why would Harry think that, like, asking questions would get him anywhere? Right. In the context that I was raised in, questions were considered the highest form of intelligence. Like, you were really empowered to ask questions and question everything. But Harry is not being taught that lesson. And so for Snape to want any sort of curiosity or empathy, but to be like, don't ask me about that. Gosh, you really are stupid. Calling it mind reading, like, Snape is not fostering a safe space for curiosity because curiosity is a place of vulnerability.
0: That's right. Actually, this is a really interesting question that I have for you, which is that I think especially Jewish culture engages questions in a very different way from the way I was raised, but definitely from the way I see like mainstream culturally Christian contexts. So, for example, not only questioning, but, but like actively challenging yeah. ideas that are put forward are often in a Jewish context, a demonstration of care. It's like, I want to have this conversation with you. I want to dig deeper into the truth. And like, I'm going to get there by kind of robustly questioning and and testing the assumptions that you're putting forward. While in different contexts, that can be seen as something threatening, as something that's rude. I don't think we're in that kind of cross-cultural context with (laughs) Snape and Harry. But it is interesting how we demonstrate curiosity can show up differently in different cultures.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, my first day of like Hebrew school kindergarten, I asked the teacher, if Adam and Eve had two sons, how are we all here? And she did not know how to answer me. And I thought I was in trouble. And then I ended up getting, there's an award called the Kavod Award that was like given every month. And in front of the entire synagogue, I was given the Kavod Award. <laughs> and like, she didn't know how to handle it in that moment, but she was still like, but I want to celebrate that you are like a precocious five-year-old who asks questions that embarrassed me to the point that I couldn't answer them, right? Like, that was the pedagogical lesson I was taught, was like, even if you are going to humiliate me in front of your fellow students, we will reward you for asking tough questions. Can you
0: imagine Umbridge being like, Hermione, that is a great point. (laughs) I don't know, but you get a special prize.
1: Right, like, just what a generous. It's
0: really lifting up that spirit of curiosity. And And I think it is such an incredible gift to go out into the world eager to learn, wanting to find answers, you know, and frankly, that so many of the institutions, whether democracy or the rule of law, they are dependent on curiosity. When we stop looking for answers... That's when evil can creep in. And I I think we've seen in this book and previous books, you know, the way that fudge goes around not wanting to engage new questions because it might lead to dangerous answers. That's what happens when curiosity is killed. So that spirit of learning and of of questioning, I think, is central to, to how we live together safely and happily.
1: Yeah, the big lack of curiosity to me, and I'm sure everybody reads this chapter and it's like, Harry, why aren't you asking X, Y, Z? Mm. But the fact that Snape just keeps hammering in on like, do not call him Voldemort. And then Mm. is like the Dark Lord. I don't understand why Harry is not like, why do you keep calling him by that honorific? Mm. Right. And that to me is a real missed opportunity of curiosity.
0: What do we think is the reason? Why, why do you think Snape calls him that?
1: I mean, I think he was like inculcated as a member and I, I think he's still drawn to the dark arts and has a lot of respect for Voldemort and like doesn't want to call him he who must not be named but prefers to give him this like title of reverence.
0: Oh, that's interesting because to me it was more about the two worlds that he lives in. Although I do like that answer. I was thinking that for him, he's got these two worlds, and the one which Voldemort is in, he's called the Dark Lord. And so to call someone with two different names yeah. starts to mold together these two worlds that he tries to keep separate.
1: And it's safer to call him the Dark Lord and Hogwarts than it is to start saying he who must not be named in the Death Eater community <laughs> yeah, i
0: love that in my death eater community <laughs>
1: <laughs> um so yeah as a devil agent there's like a strategy involved and like i would rather make this mistake than that mistake yeah it just kept driving me nuts and i was like you're gonna give him such a hard time about what you're co- what he's calling him <laughs> when like you are calling this like evil torture by like his preferred name
0: i mean snape is not being an effective teacher here
1: oh my god so we have Umbridge on one side being like, you only need theory. And then you have Snape being like, okay, now I'm going to try to get in your brain. Stop me. <laughs> like I, It is completely overwhelming to me as someone with like minimal teacher training, how bad the teaching is he's adding to Harry's trauma. It's like if you take a self-defense class, they don't try to kill you with a knife and be like, protect yourself. They like teach you how to protect yourself and then in safe ways, simulate things in order to teach you. He is actually assaulting Harry.
0: Yeah. I mean, Harry is being reconfronted with Cedric's death. He's seeing all of these things, which, as you say, are are completely traumatic. And The question I have is, does Snape really want Harry to learn? Because I think Snape is conflicted. And I think all of that points to actually Snape's lack of curiosity in Harry as well. You know, I think he simply will not afford himself that luxury because I think for Snape, if he allowed himself to feel curiosity about Harry, if he felt any sort of empathy, his whole constructed world of who is right and who is wrong would kind of come crashing down it's easy and frankly right for him to be super resistant to sirius because sirius is a complete and utter jerk mound in this chapter but like lupin there are other characters who in snape's world are still evil who frankly are not and like the only way that snape can survive his dual reality is by keeping some people good and some people bad even if they don't necessarily fit into that mold anymore And so I feel like, you know, if anyone's failing in curiosity, it's also Snape.
1: Yeah, because what Dumbledore, good. So Dumbledore instructed this, but he has to hang out with Harry bad. Right. And so he's just completely split down the middle.
0: And he's like, fine, I'll teach you, but I'm not even going to care about how.
1: This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Quip. Harry Potter and the Sacred Text listeners, I don't want to scare you, but three members of the Not Sorry Productions team have recently lost a tooth. Now, none of this was because of bad brushing. It was because of accidents that happened. But I am concerned about people who love Harry Potter and their teeth. Quips Electric Toothbrush can help you in your routine of keeping your teeth ...and why it's perfect for getting back into a routine after the summer. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash Potter right now... ...you can get your first refill pack for free. That's your first refill pack for free at getquip.com slash Potter. My brother and sister-in-law have a fig tree, and it makes me sad... ...because I live 3,000 miles away from the fig tree... And I love figs. I think they are like proof of a higher being. Now I resent them less because due to Fleur's amazing Hanami scent, I get to smell like the fig tree. They make stunning non-toxic perfumes and they list all of their ingredients online. You get a good scent made with clean ingredients. And the sample process is just good old fun. Go to Fleur.com slash Harry Potter today to check out our curated sample set and get 20% off of your first custom Fleur sample set. That's P-H-L-U-R dot com slash Harry Potter to get your first three Fleur fragrance samples at 20% off. Fleur.com slash Harry Potter. So I think that we like very easily have absolved Harry from being curious about Snape. And I think that, like, I want to absolve this kid in my life from being curious about her bully. I don't think it's everybody's job to empathize. I just wonder, I mean, you you just called Sirius a jerk mound, right? Like, is it other people's responsibility to be curious about abusive people? So, like, should Sirius be curious about Snape? And I think I'm wrestling with this because, you know, something that we have done is been curious about Umbridge and been curious about Petunia and our curiosity does end up being empathetic to abusers and i don't think that it is necessary for victims of abuse to be curious or empathize with their abusers but i want there to be a space where everybody has a route to empathy and compassion and i i don't know i'm like sometimes uncomfortable with the people who i have been curious about and so i'm wondering it's certainly somebody's job to be empathetic.
0: I mean, the way I think about it, which, which is, I think, something we've both shared from the beginning, is that we are readers of a fictional text. And so it is totally safe for you and me to read something like the Dursleys in an empathetic way. You know, I wouldn't ask someone who has been abused to think that way about their abuser
1: or even to think that way about a character who reminds them of their abuser.
0: Even that, I think, is completely fair. So for me, it's really about, like, where is it safe for us to practice empathy in a way that is not like Snape forcing you to relive your trauma in your first go at Occlumency, but is at your own pace, allowing you to take a step at the rate of your own heart's capacity, which for for the two of us allowed us to do that with the Dursleys. And I think we'll certainly allow us to do it to some extent with Snape in the in these coming next few chapters and books. And that's what I've loved about our podcast project, is that it, it's a chance to practice in a, in a way that's safe. So that, that's how I think about that difference.
1: Yeah, it's like, when is what we are doing the form of occlumency though, mm. like occlumency training? I just think empathizing is dangerous, and not empathizing is dangerous, right? Like turning other people into the monster, I think, is what keeps us from growing individually.
0: Yeah. And we know that, I mean, what's so beautiful about the pensive that we again see in this chapter just as a material item and kind of going back into previous memories and previous stories in the way that we do in this chapter is that sometimes the most healing things are retelling what happened to us in a different way or retelling what, what happened to us and having it be heard and affirmed, especially by a perpetrator. That can be the most healing experience. And so I hope that you know, even just the way in which we engage these characters and the way in which we think about their motivations and and where we might have empathy and, and curiosity for their experience is that it might help us take a step towards some form of healing in our own lives and, and in the world around us.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the next question is, like, do we actually think it's Snape's job to be curious about Harry, given the, like, various torture that he has gone through in order to keep Harry safe, and by Harry's dad, who by all accounts looks just like Harry. I mean, it's the teacher relationship that I think puts the moral impetus on Snape, but I don't know.
0: I mean, I think this is another case where we need to look at funding for schools, because if there's only one teacher who can teach occlumency, then we're in a teacher training problem yeah surely there are other wizards who can do this job now fair enough Dumbledore might not just be looking at skill but might be looking at levels of trust but surely there's someone else who can help him out
1: right he doesn't want anybody to be teaching Harry who he doesn't trust to read Harry's mind right and to see everything that Harry is oh I
0: hadn't even thought about that
1: oh yeah right like that it has to be someone in his closest confidant
0: Okay, well, that does narrow the pool significantly.
1: It does, but, like, create that capacity within McGonagall. And, like, everybody stop trusting so few people. Like, expand your trust circle.
0: Group is in the forest and <laughs> is an excellent occlumenser.
1: <laughs> I also just think that Dumbledore needs to say to Snape, I mean, like, at the end of the day, it's on Dumbledore to say to Snape, this is a child who deserves your curiosity and your empathy and you getting to know him for him.
0: Well, let's draw a distinction between curiosity and care because there's somewhere else in the chapter towards the end where after the Occlumency lesson, Harry returns to the Gryffindor common room and the first question Hermione asks him is, how did it go? And then looking concerned, are you all right, Harry? And it really struck me that Hermione starts with curiosity, like what happened? Tell me, what did you learn? You know, she's curious about Occlumency. She's never done this before, but then she sees that he's not okay And she shifts to care and says, are you all right, Harry? And he incoherently responds like, yeah, fine. I don't know. But for me, that was such an important turn because there are moments when we want to be curious. And then there are moments where someone is clearly in distress and like curiosity is actually not appropriate and we should offer care. And I I don't think I'd really thought about that in this way that Hermione teaches by her example.
1: Well, so I think that curiosity isn't always caring, but that caring always is curious.
0: Oh, I like that.
1: I guess in certain circumstances, it can be like you are now incapacitated and I will Mm. take over care. Like you cannot take care of yourself. And so it's not about curiosity, but it's about diagnosing Mm. and of treating without the other person's input. But her next move is still a curious one. It's, are you okay? Mm. Right. And I'm just, I'm a big believer in letting people tell you how to take care of them. Mm. I think I've overly relied on that recently. I think sometimes I I don't always know what's best for myself so i don't know why i expect other people to always tell me what they need but i do think that there are negative forms of curiosity and that is what hermione has realized that she has done right that she is interested for her own sake when there's actually something else going on. For me,
0: that's the key. I yeah. love that, Vanessa, because is it there to satisfy my my learning and my interest? Or is this actually like providing a listening ear for you to feel cared for? It's like, where am I putting the center of gravity in this conversation? I think that's the shift that she makes. That's really insightful.
1: And that that is a question that I think is very alive for a lot of us just in terms of like witnessing suffering, right? Mm-hmm. It's something you've talked a lot about in terms of traffic accidents. Like, Am I curious because if I confront myself with the grotesqueness of this accident, I will drive more safely and therefore be a safer driver in the world and protect more people? Or do I just want to see because it's grotesque and interesting? And I have a really hard time of, like, should I be confronting myself with the depths of the depravity and suffering in order to, like, be of this world and to bear witness to the ugliness of this world? Or is this just... A, like a form of self-harm, or B, just voyeurism and exploitation.
0: Vanessa, this is making me completely rethink the Harry-Snape engagement. Ooh. N- not only is it not a situation of curiosity without care in how Snape is casting the l- legitimate spell and going inside Harry's brain, he's not even curious. Literally, he's not doing it because he cares about what Harry and Cho are doing. Or, or and, and obviously, this is a traumatic, invasive experience for Harry, but from Snape's perspective, he doesn't give two ounces about what's happening inside Harry's brain. He's been told Harry needs to learn how to resist this. And he has had a long day and this is the best he can do maybe right now. So I'm suddenly seeing this thing which, like the Legilimens spell, which inherently would feel like the ultimate spell of curiosity, in this case is being used with zero curiosity.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. It's like when a doctor goes down and, like, asks about your symptoms but isn't really listening.
0: Well, or the fact that to you it feels super invasive to have someone, like, look at a very intimate body part. But the doctor has seen eight of those before breakfast and, like, does not care. Right. You know what I mean? (laughs) Because that is Snape's reaction. He's like, he doesn't comment on anything that he's seen.
1: He asks, he sees a dog Chasing Harry and, like, Dudley laughing. The only question he asks is, like, whose dog was that? And he's like, it's my Aunt Marge's dog. There's some grace in the fact that he doesn't say to Harry, like, Cho, huh? But he also does ask.
0: Well, this is absolutely fascinating because I'm embarrassed to say that even though I read this last night, I did not remember that question. And he asks that question the moment that Harry resists for the first time. He doesn't resist with his mind, but somehow he's able to pull out his wand while the Legilimency spell is happening, and he produces a stinging hex. Harry asks him, did you see everything I saw? Harry asked, unsure whether he wanted to hear the answer. And then Snape responds, flashes of it, his lip curling. To whom did the dog belong? Is he making a connection between the moment he saw the dog and when the stinging hex was produced by Harry? Does he have a fondness for dogs? Like, what is going on for Severus?
1: He's showing off to Harry that he saw things.
0: But then he says, well, for a first attempt, that was not as poor as it might have been, raising his wand once more. You managed to stop me eventually, though you wasted time and energy shouting. You must remain focused.
1: It's like almost in the neighborhood of the vicinity of of the land of compliments. (laughs) So, Casper, while we're in this moment, something that I was curious about is that when Cedric's face shows up, it makes Snape angry. Why do you think that is? Is it because, like, that is the weakest thing that Harry reveals or the most vulnerable thing? And Snape is like, God, do better! Or does he blame himself for Cedric's death?
0: The best answer I can come up with is that this is such a plain failing of Severus's, you know, that he, Cedric, more than any of other Voldemort's recent victims, is someone Snape knew personally and probably taught, you know, for three, four, five years, perhaps. And so I think it's probably just about proximity and and Snape's sense of responsibility and the knowing that this is just the beginning,
1: you know. Yeah. I mean, I just think both could be true. I also think that it's like, When you want someone to be strong, it can be infuriating to watch them be weak. Anytime that you are projecting weakness onto something that they can't help, right?
0: I'm thinking of addiction, you know, it's such a classic example of that. That's
1: a great example of that, where Sirius is like, you're letting me see this? What else? Like, that is the most horrific, most vulnerable thing. Have you listened to nothing I've said?
0: Well, and also, it's not about Harry. This is about Snape. Snape constantly has to practice resisting any sort of invasion from Voldemort because we know that Voldemort is one of the greatest legilimens there is, especially when people are lying. So I think this is so much about Snape's own lack of confidence in himself and the worries he has and the the constant stress that he lives with that Voldemort might see something in the way that he's now seeing something in Harry. Like, I, I think it has less to do with Harry. I think it has a lot to do with Snape's terrifying fear that he will be this revealing because his life is at stake
1: yeah oh man
0: and also if Harry is caught Voldemort's gonna know about Snape right like he's got self-interest at stake here
1: especially now yeah So, Casper, this week we are returning to Floralegia, in which we each pick a sparklet, something in the text that really spoke to us, and share it with one another and put these two quotes in conversation with one another. What sparkled up at you this week?
0: Harry saw Hermione cover her eyes.
1: Ooh. I picked, you haven't done anything, have you? Ooh. (laughs) Um, where is your sentence from?
0: It's actually from something we didn't even mention in the thirty-second recap, which is the night bus journey
1: mm, back to Hogwarts. Dan,
0: yeah, we get to see San Shunpike again. It's really not a pleasant journey. In fact, Tonks pays some extra money to like get them moved up the queue so they don't have to feel so sick for so long. And as they're you know jumping between Birmingham and Hogwarts and wherever else they're going. Hermione kind of covers her eyes, so it's that moment of feeling travel sick and just like, please let this end. How about you? Where, where's you haven't done anything, have you? From
1: it's right at the beginning of the chapter when Snape arrives at Grimmauld Place and Molly comes up and is like, "Professor Snape is here to see you," and Harry's like, "What?" and Ron says to him, "You haven't done anything, have you?" <laughs>
0: um. <laughs>
1: yeah. So why did you pick your sentence, Casper?
0: I think I empathized with Hermione. I was in a car recently and someone was driving... With fast intent, which was helpful because we were running a little late, but I also arrived feeling sick. And I was like, I wish we would have just driven a little more slowly and arrived not feeling dreadful. But it was also just an interesting moment where this is a time when Hermione doesn't have to have any answers. And I think so often when we're in Hogwarts, Hermione is someone who's driving the solutions. And and when Tonks and Lupin are with her and the rest of the gang, she kind of allows herself to be a passenger and that's not something we see Hermione do often. So that just stood out to me. Why did you choose your your little sparklet?
1: Also, because I empathized. Um, I have phone phobia, and I like don't listen to my voicemails because I'm always afraid I've done something wrong or I haven't done something I was supposed to have done. So that feeling where Ron is like, you haven't done something, have you? That is the first thought that would come to my mind, too, is like, what did I do wrong? And so it's also just completely seeing myself in the text.
0: This is helpful for me to know, not to leave you voicemails.
1: Yeah. When you call me, it doesn't stress me out. Okay. We talk frequently enough that I know that if I have done something wrong, it is (laughs) like within a short enough period of time.
0: Rather than like, we haven't spoken in nine months. Oh, God, what (sighs) did I forget six months ago that has now grown so bad?
1: Exactly. (laughs) Yep. Let's put these two sentences in conversation with one another. Harry saw Hermione cover her eyes. You haven't done anything, have you? The thing that keeps coming to mind is at Shabbat, you cover your eyes to do the prayer over the candles. I feel like this sounds weirder than my experience of it is, but you like— Wave your hands three times to welcome the Sabbath into, like, your house and into, like, your heart. And it tends to be, like, the matriarch of the family that does that. And so one of my, like, strongest visuals of my life is my mom, like, Mm. welcoming the Sabbath and covering her eyes and saying a prayer (laughs) on Friday nights. And so, like, that is the visual that's coming to me of Hermione, of her, like, covering Mm. her eyes to say this prayer
0: i love it and then harry's like you haven't done a thing have you done the prayer
1: yet (laughs) is it shabbat yet
0: it's also an interesting way to think about curiosity because the the question you haven't done anything have you you sure it's a question but it's also a pretty accusatory question because it's already putting in the question the assumption of what you have or haven't done and so it's a kind of a false curiosity or an empty curiosity where it's really about me affirming my suspicions that I'm already voicing rather than a genuine interest.
1: Isn't it about intimacy of like, you haven't done anything, have you? Hmm. Like, I know you so well that like, I know you haven't done anything, right?
0: It's more empathetic.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, oh no. I
0: know I would have done something. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, let's put these two sentences in reverse order now, or as I like to say it, Flippity-floppity them. You haven't done anything, have you? Harry saw Hermione cover her eyes. Ooh, I love this. It's like a conversation between Ron and Harry where it's like, you haven't done anything, have you? And then, like, Hermione implicates herself and is like, oh,
0: Actually, it was me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which I feel like is true of the whole books. Everybody always thinks it's Harry and Ron, (laughs) but it's always actually Hermione.
0: Well, or it's like, oh, here we go again. (laughs) It's these two. What
1: have you done now?
0: What I like about the sparklet Harry saw Hermione cover her eyes is we've got these two visual words, right? Eyes and saw. And so there's an inherent tension there about seeing someone not seeing. I I don't yet know what it means in the context with this other. You haven't done anything, have you? But there's something interesting there.
1: Yeah, there's this fear of like what haven't I seen? What have I been covering my eyes to Mm. that therefore I haven't done something? That's just always my biggest fear. Like when I know I've hurt someone's feelings, I can either be like, I'm fine with that or I can apologize. But the thing that like keeps me up at night are the things that I've done wrong that I can't even see.
0: Right. Right. And we don't even know to be curious about because we don't even know that They've happened.
1: Right. And so I think that by being anxious about listening to my voicemails, it's like a gesture toward like, here could be any number of things that I didn't see coming back to haunt me.
0: Yeah, it makes me think about the value of creating explicit moments where curiosity is welcomed or or where you know i'm just thinking about like what's the ritual to help us listen to our voicemails or like to seek out feedback from our colleagues or to ask friends like hey am i living up to what you want in a friend like it's very rare to have those specific set aside times so that when someone does raise an issue it's immediately a thing rather than it having some like home right to live in
1: I think part of what has made me lose my capacity for listening to voicemails is being on social media Mm. because you can get negative feedback at any time. So you live in constant dread of negativity. Mm. And so once it comes time to, like, my personal phone, I'm just like, oh, I've used up all of the energy of, like, fear of judgment and negativity, right?
0: Mm. Yeah, and in some ways that's what both of these two are dealing with as well, you know. Harry is being asked, like, (laughs) you haven't done something bad, have you? Like, you haven't failed at something. And in some ways, Hermione is, like, having to deal with someone else's failure, namely the design of the night bus. Our voicemail this week is from our dear friend Trey Lyon in Atlanta, who hosted our live show in Atlanta, and who you may recognize from a voicemail in season one.
2: Hey, Ariana and Vanessa and Casper. It's Trey from Atlanta. I just wanted to say thanks for the podcast. Our daughter has chronic lung disease and has been in the hospital in this season. And as we've been driving back and forth to the hospital, listening to the podcast, going back over old episodes has really been a balm for me. And so I'm grateful for it. In that sense, as I was, I had missed somewhere the special episode with the review of Puffs. And uh, as Vanessa was talking about that musical, she mentioned that the character is from Albuquerque and An Orphan Who Goes to Hogwarts. And uh, I, it just brought back to me something that I kind of forgotten for a moment and had honestly created some distance for me and Harry Potter for a while. The first Fantastic Beast movie, we took my son, who was 11 at the time, and it was really a parenting fail. Uh, he has anxiety, and it's a very intense movie, and there's some really intense points. But especially the way Credence is so cruelly treated, and it really played into this orphan trope that at the time sort of seemed to be everywhere and I've seen in so many other places in our culture. And I sat there thinking the way this was affecting my child who suffered trauma at a young age by abuse and uh, then was adoptive. And uh, with all of the complications and stories that come with birth families and adoption and trauma, uh, I just made me relate differently to the Harry Potter narrative and even Harry. So I just wanted to throw that out there and offer a blessing for those of us who love things and encountered them in a certain way and then have them deeply affected by a certain narrative choice or by some situation or person we dearly love that causes some some distance and some wrestling with that and i'm grateful for this community which is a place to wrestle and work through those things together so thanks so much y'all take care
0: trey thank you so much for this beautiful voicemail and yeah i think you're so right to point out the kind of negative tropes around orphans or, or kids that are adopted and families that that welcome in kids into their family. And just like you have created an incredible, loving, stable home where kids get to be safe and really get to be kids from some of the most difficult circumstances. So I'm so glad that you and, and many other parents are listening to the show. And I hope that we get to be a little part of your lives as you raise these incredible children and young people into becoming the kind of humans that this world needs so thank you
1: and give both of your kids hugs from us we saw them when we were in atlanta and they are delights super super cute they're so cute (laughs) okay casper it's now time for us to bless somebody who would you like to bless this week
0: well this is very apropos but I, i really feel called to bless harry in this chapter you know we see him relive these painful traumas and just reminded me of people who have to give police statements or, or give evidence in court cases of some of the most horrific moments of their lives in ways that are not healing often, but really that reopen the wound. And I feel that, you know, the violent way in which Harry's mind is being exposed to someone else and the way he's not in control of the stories that are being shared. I just have such empathy and, and, a, and a blessing for anyone who is or has been in that situation. How about you, Vanessa? Vanessa?
1: Well, mine is a little bit silly in the face of that beautiful blessing, but I want to offer a blessing to Cho.
0: Yes.
1: Because she asks out Harry first. She does, right? She's like, oh, did you see that the next Hogsmeade weekend is on Valentine's Day? And I just think that like kissing first or saying I like you first or I love you first or asking someone on a date first, like I just think it's the bravest thing in the world. And so hard to do well while giving the other person agency, but making your intentions clear. And she is just like elegant in her lack of elegance. Like it's so <laughs> sloppily done, but generously done. And so I just want to offer a blessing to anyone who's brave enough to do anything like that. It's so hard. It
0: is so scary.
1: So a blessing to Cho. <laughs>
0: You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and support us on Patreon. Leave us a review on iTunes or send us a voicemail, and we hope to see you at one of our live shows soon.
1: Next week, we will be reading Chapter 25, The Beetle at Bay, through the theme of defiance. This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text was brought to you by Ariana Nettleman, Casper Cherkyle, and Vanessa Zoltan, with editing support from Ariana Martinez. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are part of Night Vale Presents. We would like to give a big, big thanks to Trey Lyon for this week's voicemail, to Julia Argy, Danny Egan, Maggie Needham, and Stephanie Paulsell.
0: We'll see you next week.
1: Take care. sentences um, flip in flip, let's use the technical term, in flippy flop conversation (laughs) with each other.
0: Flippy floppy floor and (laughs) I'm Joseph Fink, and I'd like to introduce you to I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats, a podcast about the shifting line between artist and fan.
2: When I was a child, reading the authors that I loved and listening to the music that I loved, The thing I got from that is that feeling of of being understood somehow, and that weird connection, where it's not the person, it's not the stranger, it's the thing they've made that opens this space for self-reflection.
0: I only listen to The Mountain Goats. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.